Green Diva's heart wildlife. Who can resist all those videos and images of adorable baby animals? But sometimes these adorable creatures really need our help. Let's celebrate wild animals, learn about them, and do what we can to help them. Well, I am really interested to speak to Sue Reinhardt, who is a filmmaker and director of an upcoming documentary called Songbird, Songbird SOS, which I saw the trailer and I almost wanted to cry just from the trailer. And some of it's just beautiful and some of it's just a little upsetting and scary. Um, the film is about the decline of migratory birds. And if you really haven't heard some of the statistics, you will be stunned. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. You know, I, I was looking at, at your site, and, and of course, I looked at the trailer, and I am somewhat aware of some of uh, the statistics, but really, they were stunning what I saw. It looked like some of my favorite songbirds and the common birds that we all know of, um, you know, it was like the average was like 70 something percent uh, declined since 68 or 1970. Right? Yes. yes. And that is uh, definitely uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to make this film. Um, I, uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm just a, a person. I like birds. I didn't, you know, I know a little bit about them, backyard feeder, that kind of thing, when I started this project. And for me, what happened was I kind of noticed that there was over, you know, over many years that there was birds that I wasn't seeing anymore. Right. And I thought it was just me. I don't, you know, I don't get out in nature enough anymore. I'm too busy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not looking up anymore. Sad, and then right? I actually read a book um, by a woman, Bridget Stutchbury, and it, called, it was called Silence of the Songbirds, and she laid it out, and I just thought, oh, my God, it's it's not me. I'm not missing it it's happening we're losing the birds it's not not the fact that i'm just not seeing them they are really disappearing yeah but you know i mean i just got a totally side note here that whole concept that we are disconnecting from nature so you didn't trust yourself Mm -hmm. enough to know whether they were there or not and i just really um uh, you know we all obviously you've become more aware of it from from pursuing this concept in this film i'm sure Mm -hmm. but i'm just always striving to like make sure that i sit outside and look for the birds and look up and see the sky or whatever Mm -hmm. and um but it is upsetting when you do notice this kind of stuff and then first of all i would want to be in denial i don't even want to believe this is happening right (laughs) yes well that goes back to you described the trailer as beautiful and scary and i think the film is is that too we we strive to kind of capture that there is beauty and there are reasons to care. Um, and at the same time, we are in a, in a really difficult and, and frightening situation. Yeah. Yeah. And now, so in making this film, how challenging was it? Well, you're, you're a, you've done other nature type um, filmography before. You're a director. I've seen that you work with National Geographic. So you must have some... Uh, experience and and understanding of you know the <laughs> challenges of filming nature, but how was it filming birds? Well, I I will say I I um, 
I've made films, I have an interest in ecology, so I've made work along that lines before, but I've never made a film quite like this one. It was very challenging. I bet. Um, the way we mostly captured the birds was by following the scientists. So the film sets out to, to really understand why, why the birds are disappearing and right. what it means. Yeah. And the way we did that was by finding people, individuals, um, who are really looking to, you know, unravel that mystery, you know. Mm. Um, and so we we uh, shot in different places actually all over the world because this is something that's happening all over the world. Right. And I met some uh, truly amazing people. And back to the question of how we filmed the birds, in many cases, because they were studying birds, it kind of opened that door for us. It gave us a place that they would say, okay, this is the work we're doing and right. we'll be you know, netting a bird here, or, or these birds come here at a certain time. Right. And that was really, really, really necessary and useful, because songbirds are things that we hear, and we don't necessarily always see. Yeah. We're aware of their presence, but it's not like you have this, you know, wonderful vision <laughs> of a bird every day. I mean, they are right. more present around us than actually in our sight. So it certainly is a, a challenge to capture them on film. Yeah, and they're small and they're fast. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, please tell me that the wrens, I had this one little wren that I swear used to come visit me personally. I took it personally. We used to come and perch on my bathroom window in the morning and sing. Aww. Like every morning. And I, I please tell me the wrens aren't in terrible danger. I can't say for sure what yeah. what kind of wren you have, oh, yeah, but me I either. would say most of the songbirds are in decline. Yeah, they're all in decline to various degrees. We have a wonderful shot in the film of this winter wren singing in the boreal forest, and and it's got this amazing song. But then the the tragedy is that the boreal forest, which is you know the breeding bird nursery of North America, it's where right. many birds go to breed and reproduce and mm -hmm. replenish their numbers. There's so much industrial development happening Aww. in the boreal that there's this uh, it impacts them on on multiple levers, levels. So, yeah. so yeah. So, so when you think of when you think of you say the wren, I just think of this image of this poor little bird singing, you know, trying to drown out in an oil refinery. <laughs> right, right. That's yeah. a lot of work, man. Yeah. Now, one one of the topics that always really stunned me a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, we did a segment on light pollution mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. dangerous and damaging and devastating it is to birds because mm -hmm. of the shifting night lights and then buildings that keep their lights on and the birds get confused and they fly into them. Mm -hmm. um, is that something you cover in the film at all? Yes. We oh. definitely look at... Uh, many of the reasons why uh, we're losing the birds. Um, and there's two things that you just mentioned. One is that uh, migrating birds, songbirds migrate mostly at night. Right. Just something I didn't know when I started this project. Yeah, so I wouldn't I have known that, I don't lot. think. Yeah, Yeah, they, they migrate at night, um, and they come down in the day where that's where we'll see them, like they forage and rest and, and eat in the day, and then they carry on their journey, and they fly at night. Wow. Um, and... The cues they use to migrate, they use many, many different things, but some of them are, you know, the moon, celestial right. bodies, things like that. And the thing with artificial light is that it's so much stronger and so much more powerful than many of these cues. It can be very disorienting. Yep. It can suck, kind of 
for lack of a better term, like suck them into right, a city. Right. Um, we have two stories in our film. One is set in New York on the September 11th uh, Memorial and Lights, um, where they shine t- these massive beams of light into yes. the sky. And, yes, you know, I live, I see them from here every yeah, once in a while. It's yeah, it's a wonderful project, a wonderful, wonderful sculpture. But the an, an adverse effect, an unintended effect, is that birds are attracted to those lights. It's like moths. Right, right, right. Because you know, they, it's it's bigger than the moon. It's brighter than these things that they're using to yeah. find their way. Well, it's more prominent to them, right? Yes, yes. So, so there are scientists who, um, one for example, a fellow we worked with, Andrew Farnsworth. They're actually working uh, with the people who put on that light display to ensure that birds aren't injured. Aww. And we have that story in, in the film. It's quite wonderful. Oh, that's great. To, yeah, they actually have worked. Uh, so that if they they monitor the birds and if they are getting caught in the beams, if they are getting attracted to the light, where they can, you know, they'll just fly around in the beam until they die, basically. They'll actually shut the sculpture down and and let them go. And and the other story in relation to what you were saying is um, in Toronto we filmed with an organization called FLAP, which is the Fatal Light Awareness Program. Right. It was founded by a fellow named Michael Mazur. And these are these wonderful volunteers who go, they get up at five in the morning during migration season and they go out to the city just at dawn, just when the sun is coming up. And they, they look for the birds that have been injured or killed in collisions with buildings because, again, the bright lights of the city attract the birds yeah. and confuse them. Yeah. Um, and they rehabilitate any bird that they can find that, that is in a condition, uh, healthy wow. enough to be rehabilitated. Yeah, and then they document the rest. And there's an amazing story here because through that documentation, which they've been doing for 20 years, there actually was a legal court challenge uh, in Ontario recently, and they were able to use these this documentation of all these dead birds to prove, um, you know, that that buildings are harmful. And there's actually been uh, there was a change, a court precedent that wow. that made for a change in the law. Um, well, that's and encouraging. And have to show that they're doing due diligence to uh, not have this occur. Well, that is extremely encouraging. I mean, really, seriously, for a thousand reasons, do we need to have lights on on tall buildings all night? I mean, I guess maybe one at the top to deter planes, I don't know, or whatever, to let planes know that it's there. Uh, but does the whole building need to be lit up all night long? No. Ah. Oh. And yeah. the other, the other, I mean, this, and I can't remember the statistic, but the number of birds that die every year because of the, just this light pollution. No, it's billions. It's, it's very upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> it's very upsetting. Say, yeah. And, you know, someone, I just learned that there's a disease-killing deer in New Jersey. It's already, right. there's, it's similar to the white snout or whatever's hurting the bats yeah. in New Jersey. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's interesting, and I don't know that much, but I, I will say something, that I believe the bat's white nose syndrome is related um, to an immune disorder. Yeah. And something that is affecting the immune system of bees... Yes. ...is the neonicotinoid poison. Yes. And the neonicotinoid, I know it's a hard word to say, <laughs> the neonicotinoid pesticides, we also cover that in our film. Oh, and we good. We did an amazing story with this scientist called Christy Morrissey, and she works in the prairies in Saskatchewan, Canada. And she's doing a study 
that will prove that there's a link between those pesticides and the death of many tree swallows, um, oh. which are a songbird that eat insects. Mm. And the reason why that's happening um, is because, I mean, uh, neonicotinoids, and the reason why they're kind of a revolutionary pesticide is because instead of spraying them on the field, like that image we see of a you know right. a tractor going out and spraying, they're actually coated right on the seed. Yeah. And then the idea is that it grows into the soil, and the plant takes it up with it as it grows. So yeah. it's a systemic pesticide. It's like in the DNA of the plant. Yes. And the idea is that this is its kind of a good idea if you were you know, trying to invent a better way to do pesticides than spraying it all over. But the what they didn't realize is that it would have all these other impacts. Right. And one of them is that it, if it, it doesn't always stay where it's supposed to. And right. when it rains and when there's water involved in growing, which you can't have a crop without water, right. it goes into the water and it runs off and it collects in ponds and things like that. And what happens in ponds and little puddles and all that is that's where insects are born. That's where yeah. they have the larval stage. Yeah. So essentially, it, the pesticide is running off the plants. It's going into the, uh, running off the seeds, actually, and going into the water. And then um, the, it's harming insects that aren't the target insects. They're not the ones that the, you right. know, the pesticide manufacturer is trying to kill. They're trying to kill some other crop insects that's yeah. <laughs> way far away. But because it's traveled, it's, it's, it's affecting this other group of insects. And that's, these insects are the food supply for the birds. Yeah. So what's actually happening is they're breaking the food chain. Oh, dear. And when we do something that drastic, I mean, you can't do something like that to nature. If we break that food chain, anything above that break is in danger of extinction. Right. Yeah, so between the bees and the bats and the pollinator issues and the birds, which are also pollinators, uh, you know, uh, and the deer, it just seems like there is this sudden red flags popping up everywhere that species are becoming ill, you know, they're becoming ill, and uh, I think we should be alarmed. I agree. Without panicking. I agree, and that's why... (laughs) I know, that's why we're making this film. And um, to take you to another example, uh, coffee Ah. is something. And I'm going to tell a little bit about this because there are solutions and there are ways that we Mm. can help. Um, I mean, the neonicotinoids, I mean, you're going to have to write a letter to somebody. But but there are other things that we can do. And one of them is, is, um, is to choose which coffee we drink and why. Yeah. And we, did, we filmed in Costa Rica with this another amazing woman, <laughs> um, Alejandra Martinez Salinez, and she's working in um, an organization called CATIE. That's the acronym. And what she's doing is, is research on sustainable agriculture. And one of the, the crops, I mean, coffee is a huge crop around the world. The world actually drinks 500 billion cups of coffee a year. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> a lot. We consume a lot. Um, and most of it's grown in the sun. And so you think of a landscape. It doesn't have trees. It's just a giant open field. And in order to grow that way, it's an industrial agriculture model, you have to have a lot of pesticides. And you have to, you know, you have no other plants. They just need the sun. All the trees are chopped down. So it used to be a forest, it used to be a natural environment, but it's right. not. Yeah. But there is an alternative. There is a way to grow coffee in the shade. Yep. And if you do that, there's two incredible benefits. One is that you can have trees, 
and trees and shrubs and, you know, different types of other vegetation around the coffee. And two, you can have birds. And the Uh. birds will actually do a job for you. They'll eat the insects and they'll act as a natural pest control. Yeah. So that's a win-win right there. Yes. uh, So if you can find coffee that's shade-grown and even better organic and even better, there's actually um, bird-friendly certified coffee. Really? Yes. And there's a place... it, I think it's right near you guys, Birds and Beans, it's called, that <laughs> um, actually sells coffee that they can guarantee is grown in these environments that's healthy for us and healthy for birds. I mean, you can do a lot with just, you know, something you do every single day, which is drink a cup of coffee. Yeah, why not? That one habit, it's going to help a lot. Wow, I am so impressed and and i love learning about the solutions and uh, i'm sure there are lots more and i'm really looking forward to when is the film coming out we are still working on the film um we shot the film over the course of a year uh mostly because birds have different cycles and different things that happen during you know a whole year so we just finished shooting in the spring we're editing in fact i i'm was in the edit suite i just have ducked out to uh, speak to you on the phone (laughs) um we should be done by christmas and then what we want to do is have the film out there on time for spring migration and hopefully you'll be able to see it and we'll definitely we you know we have a website um, www.songbirdsos.com and people can go and sign up to get newsletters so we can tell you when the film's out and when it might be coming uh, somewhere near you. Well, and we'll talk to you again when the film is coming out and we'll help, help promote it and, and the wonderful work you're doing on behalf of our beautiful birds. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Sue, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you. In the meantime... Um, Sue site, the uh, songbirdsos.com, has a lot of information, and you can go see the trailer. I really highly recommend it. And um, until then, thanks, Sue. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you do this show. It's wonderful. <laughs> bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Green Diva's Heart Wildlife. Please visit thegreendivas.com, that's T-H-E, greendivas.com, to learn more about wildlife, nature, and a whole lot more.